Skull Rock Podcast is brought to you by the generosity of the following companies. Sure, sound extraordinary. To podcasters, recording musicians, and streamers who are looking for studio quality audio at home or on the road, the Sure MV7 Podcast Kit is a premium all-in-one solution inspired by the legendary Shure SM7B and is designed to address the versatility required by modern creators. For more on the Shure MV7 podcast kit, visit shure.com, S-H-U-R-E.com, or click the link in our show notes. Shure, sound extraordinary. And by The Old Mill Press, publishing beautifully crafted books that illuminate our world. To learn more, visit theoldmillpress.com. And by listeners like you. Hey, this is artist Sue Blanchard, and you're listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome again to yet another edition of Skull Rock Podcast. A show about all things Disney and pop culture, where every week we take you behind the scenes of some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, as well as what's streaming, what's playing in theaters, and what's going on in the universe of entertainment. I'm Al John Goh, musician and longtime Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, and pop culture fan, and you can email me, Aljon, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossard, artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John, I'm back. He's back. I'm back. I got the 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 live studio. Yeah, I hope our thank you to the studio audience, but I hope our our listeners enjoyed uh, AI Dave last week. Yeah, it was fun, right? I mean, it's not the same, but hey, you know what? I'll I'll take fake Dave over. <laughs> I'll take right. fake well, fake Dave you know, over what no can Dave. I, say? <laughs> uh, I uh, honestly, I think with the time difference, because uh, for our listeners, I was over in France. Uh, my oldest daughter Sydney uh, got married. Um, it's the first of three weddings, by the way, uh, for her, uh, that are planned over the next, uh, year and a half. Uh, and, uh, it was fantastic, but there's a nine hour time difference. So really it was kind of impractical for me to bring, uh, the, uh, portable Skull Rock Studios with me, <laughs> you know, I mean, with customs and, you know, crossing borders and transatlantic flights and stuff like that. It just was impossible. Well, yeah, I mean, the time difference, too. Let's face it. You never know what kind of Internet <clears throat> you're going to run into at the various hotels and places that you're going to be staying. So it's it's totally understandable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that, that's just the way it goes. But I had a fantastic time and, and I will tell you and, I, and I've said this to people before because I've been to France many times, but um, there, there just isn't bad food over there. The, <laughs> the, the worst is going to be average. Right. Well, I mean, OK, France is the culinary hub for 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 many cultures, especially Western culture. So. Yeah. There you have it. And, and, and by the way, their influence, the French cuisine has influence worldwide. Yes, of course. You know, I think we, we've talked about this in the past. Um, you know, I've been to Vietnam, uh, which uh, has a heavy French influence uh, in, in their cuisine. 
Yes. Uh, and uh, I have to tell you, we ate at some just wonderful restaurants while we were in France, and oh, the food is spectacular. I bet. I bet. I'm living vicariously through you, Dave. But, uh, well, I'm, well, welcome back, and I, I hope you were able, I know that you were able to watch some things in, in, during that nine-hour flight back and forth. And enjoy, but uh, welcome back into the hot seat today. Um, you know, we have a lot of great stuff to talk about. Uh, Randy Cartwright on the show again, part two. Um, and Dave, uh, Randy's just a really cool dude, he really is. And I'm looking forward to getting to part two. Um, you know, he's somebody who has been in the industry for you know over 40 years and uh has some great stories to tell. And I'm looking forward to getting to that uh uh when we get to that segment. Surely. Uh, before we get into what we've been streaming and stuff this week, I have to say it's uh not only has Dave been having a busy week, but it's been a busy week here in Nashville with the CMA Fest. Going on, formerly Fanfare, you know, this is the hub of country music here in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee, and everywhere across, you know, the the downtown area, there are all kinds of great musicians from all different genres performing for the fans, and uh, this week, Dave, I ended up having to uh, bring out the old guitar and play Sideman to a bunch of great bands um, this week, which was really cool, because I haven't... You know, even though I played a couple of small gigs here and there, they haven't really been like high profile shows like this one over there at the Gibson Garage celebrating our second year anniversary and 150 years of uh, one of Gibson's brands, Epiphone. And I ended up uh, playing bass for uh, members of uh, Better Than Ezra and uh, Marvelous Three, the Black Crows, the Wallflowers. I mean, you know, that's got to really be exciting. Cool. I mean, honestly, I mean, what kind of crowds did you have? Oh, it was full course it was i mean it's a small venue for one because yeah but i mean how many was the seat oh so well probably probably maybe three four hundred it's small it's small but but it's but it's it's, but it was packed oh of course it was packed and it was just a it's a it's a it's our retail experience there the gibson garage there in in downtown nashville and it is one part store, one part history, one part uh, exhibit venue, venue and performance venue. Yeah. And so you're there and we have a great singer songwriter stage and we're just there with a bunch of uh, people. I mean, to play uh, to play with these awesome musicians that I've actually, you know, performed. And my when my band opened up for Better Than Ezra, oh, gosh, Dave, maybe 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, when they were at their height, I mean, it was really cool. And now uh, their singer, Kevin Griffin, is, a, you know, a great producer, songwriter, has written songs for Taylor Swift and all these other things. He's a founder of Pilgrimage Festival. I've got an immense amount of respect for him. But we ended up, uh, you know, talking about the old days, which was really cool. And he remembered that gig that we were doing. And, of course, the fans were were in attendance, so that was a lot of fun. And not not just that, Dave, but... My old band, The Ever Afters, you're going to love that that name because we're all Disney fans. So we're The Ever Afters. Uh, right. We're a hard rock band that sounds a lot like, um, you know, kind of Guns N' Roses. And, all right. And we remastered and re-released our album from 18 years ago, Dave, and it's out. Wow. Right now, now so, did you put that out just digitally or did yeah, you do it's just digitally. It's just digitally. So it's uh, on every platform now. It wasn't available before we had to go back in and redo it. And um, so now it's out. So if you check out the ever afters on every platform, you can check out Al John's old band, my old band, the ever afters. And it's very much in that guns and roses, velvet revolver, 
um, rock, you know, hard rock vein. But awesome. um, people are send digging me a it. link. You got to send me a link. I'll send and put you a link, link in the show and put a link in the show notes. Yeah, it's very, very guitar heavy. So uh, you'll 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 dig it. Um, so check out the Ever Afters. And of course, we all love the Disney fairy tales. Uh, so all of us guys dressed in black all decided to call ourselves the Ever Afters, <laughs> which is kind awesome. of funny. That but uh, so great, yeah. So uh, yeah, it was a great week for music. Still is happening right now. But uh, I tell you what, let's delve into what we've been checking out this week. Dave, you had some time on the plane. Uh, there were no well, snakes yeah, on the plane. but I, I actually had seen a movie before I left. Oh, okay. I saw I saw Fast X. Oh, uh, in the theaters. And, okay. You know, all, all I'm going to say is, if you like uh, car chases and explosions and that kind of stuff, crashes, uh, you'll you'll enjoy those parts of this movie. It, it it's it's really a throwaway. I mean, the franchise is tired, as far as I'm concerned, and and the dialogue was laughable. I mean, just laughable. <laughs> Basically the people are just there to serve as filler in between the next car chase. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And, okay. and it was just some, some, some of the stuff was just absolutely ridiculous. It, it just goes beyond plausible. Of course. Into the ridiculous. Of course. Yeah. You know? So, so that I, I saw that in IMAX, you know, and uh, that's a couple hours I'll never get back. Yeah. But how were um, the effects and the sound? Like everything else is good, right? Other than just. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, technically <laughs> it's, it, it, it's well done. Okay. And, and I will say, Jason Momoa. Yeah. Who, you know, we know from uh, Game of Thrones and from Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah. Uh, he is a great villain. Yeah, I I would say he's the bright spot of this movie as far as acting is concerned. Well, he's everybody else is everybody else is just walking at home. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a great actor. I think he inhabits every role he plays. Obviously, very dominating and a good looking dude. Um, but well, that's that's good to hear. But 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 he's got the acting chops. Yes, he he really does. You know. So, uh, I also uh, had a chance to see Transformers: Rise of the Beasts in IMAX. Shall I guess? Shall I guess uh, what you thought about that? It's a terrible movie. (laughs) It's just it's just an awful movie. I'll just put it to you that way. Of course, I haven't been. I haven't been. I haven't been interested in Transformers movie since uh, Bumblebee. And um, Bumblebee had a lot of heart, and Haley Seinfeld is a, a great actress. So, and, and you hit it on the head because that's what exactly what was missing from uh, Rise of the Beasts. It has no heart to it. No heart. Yeah, that's what there, there's just no heart to this movie. Yeah, you don't care about any of the characters. You know, again, all the visual effects, uh, uh, all, all the CG, it's fantastic. It looks great. You know. But you don't care about any of these characters. There's just no heart to this movie whatsoever. So that was another couple hours I'll never get back. Now, now flying over to France and back, I was on planes for more than nine hours in each direction. Okay. (laughs) Right. So I had an opportunity. uh, I wanted to, in anticipation of Mission Impossible, um, Dead Reckoning Part One, which is coming out, I believe, in uh, June or July. Right. When that opens, 
in anticipation of that, I decided I'm going to rewatch some of the old Mission Impossible movies. So I rewatched Mission Impossible 3. I watched Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. And I watched Mission Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol, Ah. which, by the way, Ghost Protocol is directed by Brad Bird. Yes. Uh, You know, Pixar and the uh, Incredibles movies, you know, all of that. So uh, Brad's a great filmmaker. Uh, Those are just fantastic films. Yes. Absolutely fantastic films. Uh, They've got, you know, great actors in them. There's uh, great stories. action sequences the stunts are incredible uh, it was just great re-watching those films i really enjoyed it now while i was in france i spent several days out in normandy normandy coast and it and it was the 79th anniversary of the d-day invasion mm-hmm. you know that that major invasion that took a heavy toll on the allies but turned the tide of the war right right in Europe. And uh, so, you know, we went and visited uh, the American cemetery, which I have to tell you, when you stand in a cemetery and as far as you can look, there are just white crosses and stars of David mm-hmm. in every direction. And there's almost, there's just under 10,000 servicemen buried there. Yeah. It, it it really is sobering and makes you realize the 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 incredible loss of life that happened in a short period of time when when they invaded the coast and and you know Omaha Beach and Utah Beach which are all still there there's memorials all over the place and by the way that American cemetery with just under 10,000 service, servicemen buried in it that's one of 25 cemeteries in the area related to World War II and that invasion. Yeah, wow. You know, yeah. I mean, is but but that's the biggest one. And, uh, you know, it, it was just absolutely amazing. So it made me uh, want to rewatch Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Uh, what a film. Steven Spielberg movie. Um, and you actually having walked along the beaches of, uh, you know, Utah and Omaha beaches um, to watch that movie and to understand what was going on during that invasion. It, it's just, it brings it all together for you. Um, yeah. So I watched that great movie. I mean, Tom Hanks, Matt, uh, Matt uh, Damon uh, directed by Steven Spielberg. Uh, there's so many great actors in that. Uh, yeah. Ted Danson's in it. Uh, Dennis Farina's in it. Um, you know, the list just goes on and on. It's, it's a, a classic. really terrific, you know, uh, Giovanni uh, Ribisi's in it. Uh, <laughs> by the way, even Vin Diesel's in it. It's true. It's true. You know? Yes. Um, so, uh, you know, really a terrific movie. Um, and I, I was glad I rewatched that. Um, on the small screen, I actually uh, got to see this past week uh, the season, uh, the series, they're calling it the series finale for Ted Lasso. Uh, but I've read some articles in the trades as to whether it really is going to be the series finale. Are they ending it with season three or will there be more because they've left it wide open? (laughs) 
Well, you know, so where, where, know. Where, where there's a dollar, there's a way, right, Dave? It, you know, it is such a great ensemble cast, a great premise, and the writing is incredible. Mm. You got to really give it out to the writers for Ted Lasso. I mean, every episode has a heart to it. Right. You know? I, I, you know, I, I think some, you know, it's funny though, after you kind of write these series off into, yes, is it ambiguous ending? Sure. But, you know, you almost want to keep it that way because you don't want the show to jump the shark in any way. Right. Because yeah. they, they do that. They tend to do that uh, after they have this kind of soft, you know, or series finale and then they bring it back and it's just not the same for whatever reason people have moved on and the original team's not together anymore in terms of writers or creative direction, showrunner, what have you. So who knows? But, uh, you know, I mean, like where there's a will, you know, where there's a dollar, there's a way yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah, you know, we'll see. But uh, right now it's the season finale. Um, uh, sticking with Apple Plus, I did watch um, a new series that's dropped called uh, Platonic. Uh, with a uh, great cast, Seth, Seth Rogen, uh, Rose Byrne, Luke uh, McFarlane, Carla Gallo. Uh, it's just really a, a, a really uh, terrific uh, series, I think. If you like Seth Rogen, and who doesn't? He brought a sausage party, right? <laughs> if you've seen Sausage Party, you know, Seth Rogen is a god, right? <laughs> a comedy god. Uh, so I would say uh, give plutonic on apple a uh a, a shot because it, it's really kind of fun uh and uh, seth seth rogan's uh character is kind of a quirky individual and you know i like quirky so uh <laughs> i'm really enjoying it right uh so definitely check that out on apple tv and then finally um I have watched a bunch of episodes of a it's sort of a dystopian futuristic show called Silo. Yes. Have you watched this? No, but I've heard about it. Okay. So, uh, you know, a couple of years ago we talked about uh, a show called Snowpiercer. Yes. Which was on uh Max now or HBO Max. Mm -hmm. I don't even know if it's still up if you can watch it. Yeah, I think somebody has it somewhere. Okay. But Snowpiercer took place on a train that had to continually move around the world. Right. Right. And nobody could get off because, you know, outside the temperatures were like, you know, 80 below zero and you would die and all that kind of stuff. Right. Right. So, so it was all about life on board this train. Well, silo is kind of like a vertical version uh, of uh, Snowpiercer. Oh, okay. It, 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 10,000 people living in this vertical uh, complex. Right. That, that was built, you know, hundreds of years prior uh, and nobody can go outside. Right. Uh, so uh, it's really uh, a very good series. I'm enjoying it uh, quite a bit. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing if they a pick it up for a second season, but seeing what the uh, end of the uh, season is. Oh, that's cool. You know, because right. they're building towards something. Uh, so that's what I've been watching. Uh, believe it or not, a lot of stuff, considering that I uh, flew to France and back. I'm impressed with that list, Dave. 
But then again, you know, it's not like you had a, you know, you you were kind of captive on that plane. So <laughs> I, no, I really was captive on the plane, and and you know, it's funny, Al John. Typically, when I fly transcontinental, like if I'm flying to New York, right. um, I generally don't watch the uh, the entertainment systems, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I read, I journal, you know, I I write longhand in a notebook. Uh, right. uh, that's what I do on these flights. And uh, <clears throat> this time around, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to catch up on a couple of things. I wanted to see some of the um, Mission Impossible movies I've watched over the years. I wanted to just sort of get a refresher on those leading into the release of the next one. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of surprised myself. I didn't read as much on the planes or write as much on the planes as I did watch uh, some of these uh, older shows. Well, there you go. Uh, you know, and, and of course, you're you're just looking forward to the new Mission Impossible, of course. You're just trying to get caught up. A lot of people I really do that. am. Uh, I tend to do that a lot. Um, well, for me this week, I was checking out American-born Chinese. So a lot has been said about this show on Disney+. Plus, and I, <laughs> I like it a lot. And uh, I will say that um, the- What's le- the premise? What's so the premise? So the premise is Jin Wang- an average teenager balancing high school and home life. I'm reading the boilerplate, of course. When he meets a new foreign student on the first day of school, more worlds collide and they get entangled in a battle of Chinese mythological gods. So th- that that's kind of the forefront is the teenage high school drama. Okay. Um, and the addition, the, the, the two twists that are involved is a, you have an American born, born Chinese student, who is starting high school, who is super awkward, but is trying to make friends, trying to get on the soccer team, trying to find the girl, all the other tropes that are involved with high school dramas, except he has the cultural background, which makes him, at least for me, a very relatable character because in a when I was going to high school, I was a little awkward and I was the artist and musician kind of dude walking into a high school where, you know, they're not a whole lot of Filipino Chinese. They're not, they're just aren't, right? you know, there's not a lot. And then, so you walk in, you try you, to make you were probably for, the only one. Well, I, there are other Filipinos there, right? Yeah. So, but Filipino Chinese, Filipino Chinese. Yeah. It's just kind of like the only one. And, and then, so you're, you're, you're there. And then there's this awkward moment in the beginning of the series where the principal calls on the, the lead. Hey, um, can you come to the principal's office? And, you know, all the kids are like, oh, cool. You know, whatever. Um, he seems to be a normal, normal guy. And the principal says, Hey, I've got this new student here in town. I think you have a lot in common. And of course he's Chinese. And okay. so he wants to be a shadow. And the whole thing is now like, he totally disrupts the the life he's trying to create for himself within the first week of school, trying to be, trying to get into where he belongs, which is always difficult in high school. And then, so here he is, and you have the disruption of that because this this new student speaks Chinese, and he brings a you know he brings a bento box to school, and he has all this you know food and and everything, and they struggle um, to do that. All while in the background, the Chinese uh, exchange student that's there, he's basically Thor. <laughs> he's been cast. Uh, he he decides to cast himself out from his uh, training there in the mythological realm in China and is finding and, and is got the sacred weapon that he's holding with him and all the, the, 
all the while he's being tested by the gods in in the uh, the realm upstairs in in China, um, and being basically trying to live his life as a, a student, you know, because he wants he feels like he can learn more, you know. So it's a really interesting uh, mini series, and I will say that the leads of the the show are really good. Ben Wang as Jen Wang. Um, you've got um, uh, Michelle Yeoh as the mother or the grandmother, if you will. And then Kihai Kwan as Freddie Wong. So you've got a great list of awesome uh, Asian <coughs> actors in this. And I, uh, I can relate. That's all I can say. I can, I can relate this because it's difficult to be American, you know, American Chinese born, born here. So I speak English, but then you have to deal with your culture and then trying to integrate yourself into you know American culture and all, all that stuff, you know, and and some of the trials and being bullied and different things like that 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 happen. But it's not as a result of being Asian per se. It's just high school, right? So it's um it's it's a interesting show. So please give it a, please give it a look. And I think a lot of people really dig this show and on Disney Plus. Okay, so, so it's on Disney Plus, and are they half hour episodes or? Yeah, they, they're like uh, half hour episodes. It's an easy okay. watch. Easy. So it's like a sitcom. Yeah, it's like an easy easy watch. Easy okay, watch. cool. And a lot of great uh, uh, martial arts scenes in there as well, as you can imagine. Awesome. Uh, then I saw Red Rose on Netflix. Um, okay, so this show had a lot of um, a lot of promise. This is a, a British show. It's a group of teenage friends that are. Uh, infiltrated by the Red Rose app, which flourishes on smartphones and threatens uh, them with dangerous consequences if they don't comply with its demands. So it's basically just a, one of those high school kind of dramas, and these kids are using the, this app, and you know they're being put in these precarious um, situations where they have to do, they're compelled to do these acts that are just, outlandish crazy uh, putting them in compromising positions and what what is behind it i feel like there's a, a rash of these type of um like demonic app film uh, films uh, that are coming out on netflix because of the you know because of where we are today in society um but it is interesting but it is a, it was to me a little bit of a chore to watch uh it yeah. came out strong then it softened up and just i think the the um it just the idea took, petered the out. idea kind of petered out and it just uh it, it lost gas for me and right. it's it, so and it's a movie though right uh no it's actually a mini series oh it's a series okay yeah it's a mini series so um, how, how many episodes i think there's eight episodes okay, so how many um, did you watch i watched half so far and it's petering out it's petering out it petered out pretty strong for me it's like wow i don't even know like my, my wife is 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 uh, muscling through she seems to like it but for me, I'm just, I'm kind of out. I think, I've, I think right. I'm tuning out. But, uh, you know, maybe it's for you. I don't know. I give it a five out of 10, y'all. Okay. American-born Chinese, um, better. So seven out of 10 so far for me. So good. Excellent. Yep. Yep. All right. I love it, guys. If you like what we're talking about, if you want us to review something, please feel free to send us that email and we'll check it out in a next episode. Skull Rock Podcast This week in Disney and pop culture Dave, the writer strike continues When will it ever end, Dave? When will it ever end? Listen, I just I just pray that it doesn't go 15 months like the last one. Oh, my God.
gosh. I mean, when a writer strike like that happens, I feel like we're going to be really doing a lot of game shows, Dave. I yeah, mean, it's, uh, you know, we're going to be reviewing, we're going to be watching old shows. Yeah. And that's what we're going to be doing, you know, well, and, 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 and rediscovering, you know, past, you know, TV series and movies. Well, I'm already doing that. I forgot to mention the fact that uh, this past week I've been brushing up on all my Disney nature films with the kids because they love going to the zoo and checking out animals. So literally we watched like every Disney nature film this week. Did, did you watch the elephant one? I did watch the elephant one. Yeah. How'd you like it? It's great. I mean, they're all good. I, what can I say? Yeah. It's the same high quality entertainment you'd expect from Disney nature. It's just, yeah, it's beautiful. It's I, so I th- beautiful. I think Disney nature is an underrated uh, uh, label. I think too. Know? I think Nat Geo is an underrated label. I think, I think you, you, you know, my, my kids love animals and we love animals in the house. So we go, we've got a, we've got a lucky lads farm, which is the largest kind of farm uh, interactive farm experience. You can have here in middle Tennessee. Plus we're, you know, annual pass holders to the Nashville zoo and seeing all this Disney nature stuff is great. But um, you know, during a writer's strike, what are we going to do? Yeah. We're going to re review some, some older content perhaps. And, and yeah. um, you know, and, and and fortunately, it's it's taken its toll because not everybody's getting paid. You know, we talked last week or two weeks ago about streaming services maybe preemptively yanking content. Uh, uh, you know, during this strike period, um, kind of muscling. Oh, they're in. they're absolutely doing that. They're they're going through. I mean, D- Disney's removed a ton of material off of their service, so they don't have to pay residuals uh on that and and they're literally saving like a billion and a half dollars by doing it totally yeah i'm not, you know that's how the structure works you know the when you stream oh. these things well something else that's kind of tangentially um tied into streaming is what's going on with the indian government and tobacco warning regulations that are going to be hitting streaming services prime video disney plus netflix etc uh, the Ministry of Health had instructed streaming service to perform and include static health warnings during smoking scenes with a three-month time frame. Um, that is the proposal on the table, according according to uh, the IT Voice uh, website. Dave, this has a ripple effect that could possibly uh, that could hurt this a lot. Is cr- this is absolute craziness. This is the unintended consequences of do-gooders. You know, and, uh, you know, Netflix, Disney, Amazon are all challenging the Indian government's new uh, tobacco rules. And, and what they're essentially saying is they want they want a disclaimer put at not only at the beginning of programming, whether smoking or tobacco use, uh, they want to have a disclaimer put in the middle uh, of the programming. And this is craziness. I it's mean, ridiculous. this is just absolute craziness. They should push back on it. And again, Al John, I'll sit there and say it's 2023. If you don't know that smoking is not good for you, that it causes disease and ultimately will kill you. Uh, then, you know, I don't know how, how else you, you tell people stuff, you know, how, how much warning do you give people at some point, you you know, personal responsibility kicks in, you know, people are making choices. They're sitting there and saying, you know, yes, I know that smoking will kill me, but I'm going to light a cigarette anyway and have a cigarette and it's craziness. Well, you know, and I'll take it that step further. Where does it end? 
right? Yeah. So it, you start with tobacco, then you go with alcohol, and then you go with you know, uh, you know firearms, firearms, or, or you know, sexual Automobiles. Thing, whatever. You know, it's like walk, walk, walking across the street. You know, I mean, look it's both ways. Crazy. You know? <laughs> yeah, you know? you know, I mean, I mean, there's. I feel like right now we're at a point, at least in the United States, where the pre-film role <laughs> where it talks about you know language or cultural sensitivity or the use of tobacco or whatever else it, it is gives the consumer a fair enough warning about the content so they make, can make an educated decision. Is this for me or for my family? What am I in for? And I think those type of warnings are great, but you don't have to interrupt the cinematic or film experience or television experience because of a what I, I believe is just completely overreach. It's complete overreach and it ruins, yeah. ruins the artistic vision of, of, of these people that put stuff together. Yeah. And, and you know, the other thing, Al John is that, you know, when we talk about what we're watching, I mean, every one of these programs that we watch on a streaming service, it starts out up in the upper left corner. Yep. It'll say foul language, sexual content, you know, mature audience, you know, smoking, you know, it, it'll, it'll tell you all those things. It, it's like, how much more do you have to put in front of something, you know, to just basically say, this is, you know, you need to be a mature person to watch this because there's these things in it. And, you as know? A, as and, a that, paying, and that's really, that, that's all you need to do at the beginning. And as a paid con- paying consumer of this content, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want anything interrupting me. If I'm paying a premium for a premium service that I'm streaming, I don't want to be bombarded by, you know, it's enough to have advertisement and I understand the need for it um, and the content that I'm expecting advertising, but I don't want it in, in my streaming films. I just don't, I don't want it. Yeah. So I'm with you. So uh, let's hope that this just passes and goes nowhere, goes straight in the trash. Uh, yeah, that's my opinion. Um, take it, take what you want from it. I, I mean, by the way, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have to say, you know, these companies have to push back because to implement this would require editing thousands of hours of programming. Yes. I mean, that's a monumental job. They could not do it in the three months. No, absolutely. It's not. craziness. No, they can, they can barely get tags moving on to the next episode done in three months. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know? But, uh, but Hey, I tell you what they have been able to do, Dave, they've been able to put the Indiana Jones stuff on Disney plus. Are you, are you digging it? Have you seen it? Uh, yet? I, I haven't, I haven't watched any of them yet, but you know, again, uh, while I was flying, I have to tell you, it was a choice between uh, Indiana Jones or mission impossible because they're both coming out. <laughs> so I decided to watch the mission impossible films, but I am going to watch some of the previous Indiana Jones films before the new one comes out. Just I, okay. as a refresher. Here's a shocker. Are you ready for this? Yes. Kristen, my wife has never seen an Indiana Jones movie. What I know, right? Have that I done is it? crazy? I know it's craziness, right? And she lives with me, right? So, this oh is my a, gosh! So, so it is my, it is my, my duty in life to oh. smarten her up and start watching Indiana Jones films now that they're on streaming. I just, I. I I don't know what you, to you say. have to you have to sit down with her and wa- and watch all four uh, in oh, yeah. chronological order uh, with her. Oh, totally, and and I will, and I'm on vacation this week, so there's time for that. And uh, 
I, my friends, I, I mentioned this to my friends and they're like, how, how could you let this happen? Aljan, how could you let this happen? I said, I have tried, I have tried successfully to get her into, you know, Star Trek to a certain point. I've success, successfully, she was already a Star Wars girl. So she was cool with that. But there are these franchises that I'm getting her, you know, into. And, uh, but Indiana Jones is, is the one that has eluded me. So that is my point. I'm trying to, trying to get to. Uh, right. Another thing they have been able to do on Disney Plus uh, is James Cameron's Avatar Way of the Water. You know, the uh, Avatar series or the Avatar <clears throat> movie um, has been on Disney Plus for some time now. But it looks like it, the, they brought it online June 7th. Um, so it's been out for a few days. It's really kind of redesigned the Disney Plus tile a little bit. And uh-huh. uh, you enjoyed Way of the Water. So I have not yet I, seen I, it. I have to say, I, I, you know, again, I saw this on a uh, IMAX screen uh, and I saw it in 3D. And it is an absolutely beautiful movie. Absolutely beautiful film. Uh, and uh, I think the best way to experience it would have been in 3D because Cameron knows how to do a 3D movie. Um, and um, the uh, watching this film in 2D, I'm sure, is going to be satisfying, but you don't really get the scope of this movie if you're watching it on a TV. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, if you've got an 85 inch flat panel screen, yeah, maybe. Uh, but even so, I I thoroughly enjoyed this movie on an IMAX screen. Right on. Well, there's a lot of great people involved in the film. This is the what is it? The third most successful box office film of all time at three or the two point three two billion dollars box office wide. So, so is that what Way of the Water has done so far? Yeah, that's what it's done so far. Wow. Yeah, wow. that's unbelievable. Yeah, nominated for numerous Academy Awards, including Best Picture, <clears throat> and it uh, set a new benchmark for visual effects. So oh, yeah. kudos to that. And of course, all the returning cast and new cast like Kate Winslet and uh, Sigourney Weaver, Stephen Lang and uh, Sam Worthington. I'm looking forward to seeing it now because I did miss the theatrical run, but it's available yeah, now. No, it's, Plus. It, it's a it's a gorgeous movie. Beautiful, so, beautiful, right beautiful film. Well, speaking of uh, great runs, we're getting uh, Dave Filoni's on a roll. Looks like Star Wars Ahsoka will be launching exclusively on Disney Plus August 23rd. We're just a mere few days away from it uh, when you think about it uh, a couple months away this is a all-new original live action series featuring rosario rosario dawson in the title role of ahsoka tano um one of the jedi fallen jedi rebels which is really cool so um the new spots are out dave have you uh have you been able to see anything about this other than you know the fact that uh rosario has been on the mandalorian and different things like that not at all. I, I, you know, I, I've seen several uh, sort of trailers for this, uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Andor, and I'm hoping, you know, I, I don't know when the next season of that's going to come back. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, about, it's supposed to be coming back, but of course, everything right now is on a halt due to the writer's strike. Yeah. But uh, this looks amazing. There's uh, new trailers that have been dropped over this week. Uh, this will be set after the fall of the Empire. Uh, following former Jedi Knight Ahsoka Tano as she investigates an emerging threat to the vulnerable galaxy. Uh, you'll see there Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, Natasha Leo Bordizzo as Sabine Wren uh, from the Rebels uh, cartoon. So there's a lot of great stuff in here. Um, and of course, the series is written by Dave Filoni, who co-exec produces alongside jo- John Favreau, Kathleen Kennedy, Colin Wilson, and Carrie Beck. Um, 
This series is great. It's highly anticipated for me. And I'm a big fan of Rosario Dawson. She's she's in she chooses great projects, I have to say. And yeah. uh, so I can't wait for that. A brand new to Disney Plus. Uh, we've got the new trailer being released for a new original movie on Plus. This is World's Best, an all new hip hop musical comedy adventure. Uh, it's streaming now, and it's star. It's co uh, executive produced and starring Utarish Mbukadar from Ghosts and Free Guy, and is direct, uh, directed by Rosh Sethi. And uh, this show is a hip hop comedy musical adventure. And it looks very interesting to me. Um, you know, I like the fact that uh, there's kind of these music infused shows that are coming out. It's rated PG, so uh, keep that in mind. But uh, it follows a 12 year old math genius, Prem Patel, in the midst of navigating the tumultuous hardship of adolescence, dis- uh, discovering his recently deceased father was a rapper who was world famous and immediately sets out to pursue a career for himself as a rap superstar. Interesting. So there's interesting premise. Interesting premise. I I can't wait to see that. That looks very interesting. And then in our regrets for this week, Milt Larson, co-founder of the Magic Castle in Hollywood, dies at 92. He also co-wrote songs with Richard Sherman and worked on Mm -hmm. the legendary game show Truth or Consequences. Uh, Dave, what can you tell us a little bit about, you know, he, he, he had, he had a magical life is what I'll tell you. Um, I mean, when you read his bio and his obituary, um, you know, he, he's done, he did a tremendous amount. He had a great life, lived to be 92. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to the magic castle. Oh, I haven't. I've heard about it. I've heard about it. I've, I've been to it a number of times and you know, it's, uh, if you're a fan of magic and who isn't right. Uh, if you're a fan of magic uh you'll enjoy you know you you'd enjoy going into the magic castle i know i had uh numerous times uh been there and been in some of the close-up theaters you know they have these very intimate little rooms where you know there's just a handful of people sitting around and there's a magician doing you know uh close-up magic tricks and things like that i you know uh he i think he he brought a lot to the world of magic and he elevated magicians Wow. Um, you know, so what a life. That is very cool indeed. Uh, you know, uh, Larson was also a producer of Truth or Consequences. And was he around, I guess, during that time where game shows started to get fixed? Did you ever see that documentary on the fi- uh, the fixing of game shows back in the day? You know, I, I've heard about that. And I don't know if that was common practice or if it was isolated to the one. Apparently, apparently, once it started, it started happening uh, throughout the industry during a, what, a brief period, maybe of about in the sixties. You know, yeah. In the sixties. And, yeah. and I remember that's uh, probably when the, the show, you know, had come about. I mean, it, it was brought about during the golden age of television, truth or consequences, yeah. but uh, I'd be interested to, to hear more about that. We, we should look into that, but uh, he was also a producer and wrote songs with Richard Sherman. As I said, um, he partnered with his late brother, Robert to create, of course, all the songs for Disney classics like Mary Poppins, uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is not Disney, but is uh, Disney adjacent. <laughs> no, yeah, it's you know I think a lot of people look at Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and and think that should have been a Disney movie. It should have been, especially you know? with Dick Van Dyke. Uh, but, but, but it was another studio's knockoff of a Disney movie. Yeah, what what one hundred percent and did really well. Yes. I mean I I love Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, yeah, so did I. Um. So anyway, rest in peace, uh, Milt. 
That is a, what a great life at the age of 92. All right, gang, let's sit back and relax. Enjoy the second part of our awesome interview with story artist, animator, Randy Cartwright, right here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Well, Al John, we're back once again with part two of our conversation with Randy Cartwright, animator, Academy Award winner for uh, the cap system at Disney uh, story artist. He, you, you've really I have to say, Randy, you've really worn a lot of hats, which I do you find that gratifying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I get tired of doing one thing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Though I will say nowadays, I, I do miss hand drawn animation. I don't really get a chance to do much of that. And it's uh, one thing I do miss. But yeah. And a lot of other things I can do also. So, so you know, last week we we kind of ended with uh, you were talking about Rescuers Down Under being the first mm-hmm. full featured that was done on the cap system. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the fact that you did win a Scientific and Technical Academy Award as part of the team. There was a whole group of you that won that. I, I, I off the top of my head, I, I can only think of like two or three other names, but there was more than that, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, there was a well, like nine of us. I think it was. Yeah, there that, that was a, a big group. Yeah, when when we when we actually were given the award at the ceremony, uh, we all went up there, and several people wanted to talk, and they had to get, cut it short. And the the academy made a rule where you could only have like maximum of three people <laughs> one of the awards nowadays. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the three people to speak, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. three people on the awards. You had oh, to on the eight. on the award only. Yeah, oh, got, okay. Got like nine people on our award. Wow, wow. So once once Caps was up and running, your role with with that was kind of done. I know. Well, there there was one other thing. Like I said, when I was in in Japan, I, I wanted to do a digital ink and paint or a pencil test system. Yeah, you could shoot your own drawings. There was a Japanese system called the NAC, NAC system, uh-huh. which was a digital system. It was really expensive, but you could shoot your animation and uh, retime it, uh, set, you know, retime the whole thing without reshooting it, Yeah, uh, which was, was a great time saver. Instead of shooting it and reshooting it and reshooting it, you shoot it once and then make some little quick adjustments for the numbers and it re- and it adjusts itself. I wanted to try that to do that on the Macintosh. At the time, the black and white old Macintosh was a brand new computer. Uh, I bought I, I bought my first one in Japan when I saw it. Wow. Uh, specifically because I wanted to learn how to see, figure maybe I could make this into a pencil test system that animators could have on their desk. Um, and I didn't figure out how it wasn't technically a um, so, yeah, I couldn't technically do it. I wasn't a good enough programmer. But there was a program uh, animator in Finland that actually had done one like that and submitted it to Disney, asked if Disney wanted to buy it. Uh, and they g- let me review it. And I looked at it. And technically, it worked well, except the system, the way it was organized, the way it looked, didn't fit with what Disney was doing at all. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a different kind of a system uh so i asked i found out it was animated it was programmed in a language called basic which is the programming language that i knew how to to do so i said uh you know this would be great except it needs to be redone so if you get it told disney if you buy the rights from him uh, i can go in and make the adjustments and make it something that we can use for our animators 
And so they said, okay, and they made uh, an agreement with him. And so we got a copy, and I sat down and reworked the whole system, uh, reprogrammed it to make it fit what uh, animators here at, at Disney needed to do to work yeah. you know, all the terminology and the way things were done. Same thing I did with Caps. Caps was all designed to mimic the traditional Disney system so artists could sit down and understand what they're looking at right away because it, it it's very similar to their 2D system, the way it's all designed. Yeah. Um, so I, I started to work on that and uh, but I also wanted to get back into animation. That was not a full-time thing. I wanted to get back into animating. So I asked if I could get on to Beauty and the Beast and actually became one of the animators on Bell, uh, which it was a hard challenge but to, because hu natural humans are very difficult and, and cute. Uh, attract, you know, women are good uh, princesses and all, are difficult to animate by hand. But I really wanted to push myself back into animations. I've been out for so long. Yeah. So I, I asked if I could animate on Bell to try to force myself into really relearning everything again, you know, at a really high level. So I did, and I started to use that pencil test system myself in my room to see if it worked out on some of the Beauty and the Beast animation. Uh, once I, Glenn King came in, I showed it to him, and he was looking at it, and he uh, he was saying, and I tried to have him use it, and he to shoot each drawing, he would put it down and he hit the wrong button, hit the wrong button all the time. So he, he hit the space bar to shoot, uh, and so uh, I was having like the return key was was the shoot key, and so I reprogrammed it to do the space bar. So that's what everybody seemed to naturally want to shoot with. It worked out. Worked out great. Soon after that, Glenn wanted wanted one in his room, so he got one. Started to do pencil tests on it, and then other animators wanted it, and it actually became. They bought Macintosh computers for all the key animators, and they all had them in their room and could shoot their own pencil tests right in their room and and you know retime them and work them out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and how was it ramping back up into animation with Bell? Did it take you a little bit? Did, we, yeah, it was. I, I I was a little frustrating. The first first things I did was actually I put Bell in the uh, "Be Our Guest" song. Okay, it was okay. It was kind of you know structured stuff. It wasn't real a lot of acting. It was bouncing around to the music, which was fine for starting out. The main thing was once again the drawing. Um, uh, uh, the well, the key animator for Bell. Oh God, what's his name? Uh, Mark, was it Mark Hen? No, no, not not no. Mark. Um, it, uh, uh, perfectly well. He lives actually just about a mile from. <laughs> oh no! What? Oh, uh, was it uh, Duncan? Uh, no, not Duncan. Uh, uh, Baxter, James. Oh, Baxter. Uh, right, right, James of Baxter. Course, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He was the key animator, and he is a fantastic animator, and just he's one of the guys that can draw anything. It's just naturally, just beautiful drawing. Yeah. So um, I would take my drawings to him, and he would go over them, and and you know, it helped a lot having someone that's so strong in draftsmanship to to bring me back into it and it it was it was a challenge but i i really enjoyed working on it and getting into it and really pushing myself on that yeah 
and uh and so you finished beauty and the beast and you went on to aladdin then yes i was uh, uh actually the ron and john offered me the character of the magic carpet uh and but i had no idea how he was going to make the carpet act you know he had no face he had no body it's just a folded thing but it had all this acting to do which was really cool but i didn't know if i could do it uh and but uh, ed gombert was the head of story on the, and had done a lot of little sketches to show what the car what the carpet might do so i was really inspired by his sketches once he showed them to me and so i thought well, yeah i can do it. so i took the the magic carpet character on and develop that for the whole movie. And, and you know, that character is is really terrific and very expressive, you no, know, by using using the tassels as hands and feet uh, and, and just changing the shape of the carpet. So it's recoiling back and doing anticipations mm -hmm. and, you yeah. know, uh, all of those things that you would want to put into the acting of a character that's not speaking. Yeah, and the um, it, it it takes a lot of work. Yeah, I had to really work to try out all kinds of different folds and things to, before I found the ones that worked. Yeah, but also, when I first got the first scene of the car the the carpet, which was when he comes to life in the in the cavern, uh, it was a completely different scene. Uh, it was he kind of came out from behind something like a dog and followed everybody around like a dog and. I thought, you know, there's really more you could do with the character of this this thing. So I went to John Musker and said, you know, I haven't, uh, we should really do more with the personality of the, make it more like a character. And he said, okay, so you storyboard something for me and let me see what you got. So I did. I storyboarded the whole opening sequence, having him first lie down and he, he kind of comes, floats, up, lifts his head up and then, Cox's head, which gets the audience for the first time know that he's kind of alive. And he and the monk, he he my idea was he's never seen a monkey before. And okay. he's just fascinated with that boo. He comes over looking at him, staring at him, but he doesn't want to be seen, so he tries to be hot to hide. He doesn't know. And so uh and Abu hates the carpet. He thinks it's the weirdest, awful thing he's ever seen in his life. And uh, there was an idea I had. The carpet loves the monkey. The monkey hates the carpet. And the <laughs> carpet is always trying to hug and touch him. And the monkey doesn't want anything to do with it. So that's where uh, was the original idea. And so I developed that whole sequence of the monkey uh, seeing him climbing up onto Aladdin and the carpet uh, taking the monkey's hat and giving it back to him. And the monkey being really angry at the carpet. And the whole the whole sequence was my my storyboarding as well as the animating. So I was real happy to get a chance to do that. Now, with, with the magic carpet, it it is a uh, sort of combination two D CG element. Yes. Um, and at, in the development of that character, at what point did 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 it kind of dawn on everybody? We we've got a map the carpet pattern onto this somehow we're not going to draw that on every image right every drawing you're not yeah. going to put an intricate pattern yeah. well actually originally it was going to be a full cg character it was going to be animated in computer okay so they had the idea of the computerized pattern right from the beginning but they did a few tests and it was really hard and looked really kind of mechanical and didn't really have the life that they wanted 
uh, for it. And, and, and so- the so- the software at that point wasn't developed to the place where you could get a lot of expressive uh, emotional animation out of it. Right? Yeah, there, it was a lot of it. A lot of it was numbers and <laughs> yeah, with with yeah, it, it was not designed for that kind of thing at all. It was a very crude system based compared to what we have now. Correct. Uh, so what what it would happen, I animated it on paper, like a regular character, figuring out all the folds and uh, the way the tassels would work and all that. Then that would be scanned, sent into the computer, and Tina Price would take the computer and she would take this pattern and fold it to, to bend all the folds to match my drawings exactly, frame by frame. Uh, so that's what you actually see in the final. So now, like, now, was she po- was she posing a mesh to your drawings, and yes. then they were mapping the pattern? But but that pattern was actually painted by somebody in backgrounds, right? Yeah, it was it was designed by uh, I forget who the designer was, but the, the key designer designed it. Uh, they designed he painted one picture of it. And then Tina would go and just do, it would be like this, yeah, a grid that she would place on my carpet. And she hit a button and then the grid would become that pattern stretched out to match exactly the grid that she had drawn, had worked out. And then yeah. the final thing, the, the, the tassels would still be drawn by hand and combined with the the computer grid pattern uh, for the final film. And, and all those elements would actually be composited in the CAP system. Yes, and everything yeah. was done on CAP, so which became very easy, a lot easier than it would have been if it, you had to use all the technical you know, the cameras and map bipack shots. And stuff yeah, exactly. <laughs> Multiplane camera. Oh, I, was- I, I love the carpet. I think the carpet turned out really well, and uh, and it's really got a lot of character to it. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, and once you were done with Aladdin, uh, you went on to Lion King, and you were doing Zazu. Yeah, yes. Um, uh, I... Yeah, I got a chance to work on that. I worked for a little bit on on uh, Pocahontas, uh, but and um, let's see, how did I? Oh yeah, yeah. There, there was a little bit on Pocahontas, but I I got off onto Lion King, and worked on Zazu, which was also kind of fun doing it. Now, I got to ask you, when you were working on Aladdin, because I remember this very well, because I worked on Aladdin as well. But but there was an awful lot of character animators that were trying to bypass Lion King and go on to Pocahontas. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember. Were were, were you part of that contingent? Were you trying to say, like, I think I want to really do Pocahontas because everybody thought Pocahontas was going to be the big hit? Yeah, I remember Jeffrey had a... um... I was doing storyboards actually on Pocahontas and Jeffrey had a big meeting once breakfast meeting with all the animators. And he said there that Pocahontas, I know what that movie is going to be. It's going to be great. Lion King. I'm not so sure about, not sure if we're going to be able to pull that together, (laughs) but in working on Pocahontas, I saw it kind of, I thought it had a lot of potential, but I saw it kind of twisting off into a different direction than I, I expected. And really didn't felt it was not coming together at all. So I kind of got off onto Lion Kings. It looked like it was going to, you know, have more, be more fun working on it, basically. Yeah. I, I mean, Lion King had its struggles initially with story yeah. and, and some director change outs and things like that, but, but ultimately got traction. 
Yeah. Uh, and right. Yeah, I, I am um, actually when I worked on Lion King, I, I didn't know it was going to be the big hit that it turned out to be. Well, uh, not it, not none of us did. None yeah. of us did. Yeah. It it actually yeah really blew past my expectations. Uh, Pocahontas actually did was kind of what I had ex- seen it heading towards. It didn't quite have the the life, the heart that you'd, you'd want for the movie. So why why do you think that was? Well, I think I felt that Pocahontas herself, since she was going to be the person who really saved the day at the end of the movie, she should start out as someone who you never thought would save the day, not as a grand, beautiful character. I always thought she should be kind of a a lost, kind of a a character that looked like she's nobody or having trouble or awkward or something, a completely different concept. And yeah. she through the experience, she grows into someone that can actually come and at the end, stop the whole violence and take over. Right. But I, Glenn did this beautiful shot of her diving into the water as this big, grand character. Everybody loved it so much that she started right off from the beginning as being a grand, magnificent character. That And so there was no change for her. She was there, no, there was no place for her to go. Yeah, she she started yeah. out as a as a grand character and ended up as a grand character. And stories don't work very well if the character doesn't have some kind of growth that it, that leads you towards the end of the movie. So I, that's what I feel the main problem was. And with Pocahontas, that that actually marked another turning point a little bit for you, right? Because you you went and did some stuff for uh, the Quack Pack TV series. Oh no, no, I didn't. No, that one, what, no? after um after Pocahontas, yeah, after you went Lion into her. King. Yeah, yeah I, after Lion King, I went on to Hercules. Okay, and uh, on storyboarding, and so went back to really focusing on storyboarding at that point. Okay, but when because uh, you you have a credit for storyboarding uh, the first episode of Quack Pack. No, I th- was, was that IMDb? Yeah, so I they're wrong. Think, oh, they're wrong. wrong. Yeah, they're they wrong. I them, I yeah. have this happen periodically when we yeah. have guests on because I do have to look at at IMDb and and other sources and you know when when these things show up as you're getting credit for this uh, then uh, you have no credit for it because you didn't do it. Yeah, most of them are accurate, but occasionally they get things that are not quite right. Yeah. And when you look at the other Disney fan websites, they often get all kinds of things wrong. Yeah, yeah. Now, so so you actually uh, uh, finished uh, uh, Lion King. You finished your your business on Pocahontas, but you you then went on to Hercules with Ron and John. Yes. And uh, really, focused. The animation was not anywhere near ready. It was an early. Uh, the story was in very early stage, so I went on to storyboarding and and really focused on storyboarding all all through that. And, and so you did no animation on Hercules. No, uh, what happened was um, Jeffrey had left had left Disney uh, in the middle of Hercules okay. and had started DreamWorks and was looking for animators uh, to you know, stock with dream, DreamWorks. Well, I mean, let's let's call it like it was. I mean, he raided Disney. 
Yeah, he raided <laughs> he raided Disney to start DreamWorks. <laughs> and um and I guess I was one of the people he raided. <laughs> Ultimately, he you know, he gave a really good deal and um uh and you had its story. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was well, actually I really brought in as an animator and uh I did one sequence for the Prince of Egypt. Uh, a, a big musical number uh, that was based on uh, Siegfried and Roy, kind of, originally. Uh, I storyboarded that, and after that, then Jeffrey offered me uh, the head of story on Ants, uh, the, Pixar, uh, the the DreamWorks movie Ants. So, right. Yeah, I left there, became head of story of Ants. And, and Ants was the CG film. Yeah, the CG that, film. They, and that was what? It, it was uh, Pacific Data, P- PDI? Yep, yep, yeah. PDI did it. Uh, and the designs are really ugly. So <laughs> we had had a lot of options for designs, but Jeffrey picked the final one, and he picked something that looked like it came out of the Outer Limits TV show. I thought, <laughs> but uh, anyway, it, it it was it was an, an interesting experience. I actually had to move my family up to uh, San Francisco for that for a few years. And and, uh, and and then while you were with DreamWorks, you you not only did Ants and Prince of Egypt, and of yeah. course Prince of Egypt was really the only two D feature that they did, right? Um, or was was El, uh, yeah. the Road to El Dorado as well? El Dorado was two D. Yeah, yeah, that's and, right. And and Spirit. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Spirit. Spirit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah the, then, but then while I was on, once I finished up on Ants. Uh, I heard Shrek had been going on for a long time, has had a lot of trouble. They didn't know what the story was really going to be about. And so they asked me to come on as head of story of Shrek and take it over and see for the story and try to help develop the story. So I came back down to L.A. and worked on that. And at the time, the story of Shrek was about uh, an ogre who wanted to be a knight. That was his whole goal. And the story was traditional there was no fairy tale elements in it there yeah uh, it was just a typical you know animated kind of adventure but it wasn't working and they kept redoing it and redoing it uh and at one time jeffrey was thinking that he was going to close the whole picture down because it just wasn't working and i i then actually had done i I did uh, an opening i thought you know maybe maybe kind of make the opening like a disney parody so I wrote the the whole speech of the opening where it sounded like a Disney fairy fairy tale book, sort and, of a once upon a time kind yeah, of monologue, yeah. right? Monologue and kind of over the top fairy tale type talk, uh, and then at the end of it, you have a hand come in, scrunch up a page, and throw it away, and say, "Yeah, that's just crap," and that starts up <laughs> Shrek. Uh, so I I did that just out of, out of the blue, submitted it to the producer, and he showed it to Jeffrey, and they loved it, and took on and then they thought you know it's kind of a you know a parody of disney and they thought hey what about other characters maybe we could have other fairy tale characters that you know and bring it in and so i took the whole story team together and we brainstormed all kinds of fairy tale characters and ideas and what they could do with shrek and how they could be brought in and so that's how we kind of developed the uh, the fairy tale theme that's become the, the core of all the Shrek movies. So, and I was going to say, so you you really sort of set the tone for all of those Shrek films, but you only really worked on the first Shrek movie. Yeah, I only worked on the first one. Uh, there was the 
this is kind of an embarrassing thing. There was a time where there was a downtime where they're trying to get a, a screening ready, a test screening of the movie, and there was no story to do at the time because all the storyboards were going into the reel. Yeah. And so I I decided I'd write up an uh, optional ending. I thought there'd be an adjustment to the ending that you could do. So I wrote a whole thing and I had more time and I wrote it up kind of as a little script and uh, submitted it in. After the screening, everybody got together to talk about what could be done with the movie. And I passed out the, this idea I had for the end of the movie. And uh, later that day, I got a call from the producer who was furious. Oh, he really? Said, because I had submitted this to Jeffrey before they had, he and the directors had seen it. I submitted a written idea to Jeffrey. Oh, boy. He felt well, I was because, going over Because there. you knew Jeffrey. Yeah. I, I, it was a, a meeting where we were supposed to throw out ideas to yeah. for the movie. Uh, but he saw it as me trying to go over their heads and get something in the movie with that. And so I became kind of a black sheep and, you know, <laughs> at DreamWorks. It was a political thing that was a mistake. I, I mean, I, I had no idea it would be seen that way. So, <laughs> and, and so did you leave? Uh, I stayed there for the rest of my contract, uh, but I, I was moved off of Shrek and moved on to some other movies and just did bits and pieces and bounced around. And finally... Uh, finished my contract, left left DreamWorks, did uh, some, uh, I did a little bit of work for, um, oh, ILM was going yeah. to do, uh, <clears throat> ILM was going to do uh, Curious George, of all things, uh -huh. in CG, ILM CG, and I was brought in as a head of story on that. We worked on that for a while, but Universal then thought it was going to be too expensive, uh, and so they closed it down. Later on, it was finished in 2D, and it cost three times as much as it uh. would have been <laughs> ILM. But, um, uh, and so I asked if, I, I was curious about actually doing CG animation. So I asked if I could move over to the animation department and do some work. So I did some animation on uh, the original Hulk movie and the original Pirates of the Caribbean, did uh -huh. some computer animation on those, and really saw what that's like. And I, I didn't really like it much. Um, the, what, what what was it that you didn't like? Yeah, the well, when you're doing two D animation, it's really you, you, you in the paper, and you're just inventing the whole thing. This felt like you, you. It's like where you have one of those a wall in front of you with gloves in the wall and a little little window, and you're manipulating something on the other side of the wall with these mechanical things. It's like you don't you don't have direct contact with the actual work itself. Right. It's somewhere distant and you're kind of making it try kind of trying to get it to work. And and the computer, the computer's like an, uh, an assistant that would do a tremendous amount of work for you and it would always do it wrong. So you'd have to redo <laughs> it and tell the computer to redo it, and then it would do that wrong. And you do, I mean, it, it just became really frustrating for me. Well what what kind of a system were they using at ILM? Because I mean, you know, I I, I we're getting into the point where you've got alias, uh, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, software. Uh, uh, when you were working at ILM, were they using uh, alias? On um, yeah, they what was it? There, yeah, I think it was 
Well, I was using Maya. They had two uh, excuse systems. me, Maya. Yeah. yeah a, a lot of a lot of animators use Maya, but they had another system was a, a the base system, which was based it was a French system uh, that they didn't use at Disney. Um, but the whole thing, the whole philosophy, the way you move things, the way you think of movement and all is so different from 2D animation. Yeah. When um, CG was brought into the Disney animation department, there were people that really worked in trying to make it work similarly to 2D animation. Yeah. So you could quick, so the animators could get into it quickly. But at ILM, they had no 2D background. And so everything was so technical with, with following the graphs and the, the points and I don't know it I, I just couldn't really connect with it very very well it just didn't didn't satisfy me the way drawing 2d animation did right right it wasn't intuitive yeah it, it yeah not for me some of the artists there that had learned on computer yeah. it was intuitive and they were uh the, the really good people would put in very few key positions and th let the computer do all the work and, and then go in and adjust the uh the on the graphs just a little bit yeah 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 uh, where in 2d you have to basically figure everything out yourself all your arcs and all the details yeah. which I was used to doing and it just didn't translate well into what the computers were doing so it it became a I didn't really take to that. I, I actually did a little bit on later on the the um, Sony uh, uh, Polar Express did some more CG on that. Now, now with Polar Express, they that was they did a lot of motion capture for that. Yeah. Right. So, can you talk a little bit about your experience with oh. that? Did you have to take <clears throat> take the motion capture and actually sort of make it usable? <clears throat> Yeah, it was very <clears throat> even on on Hulk. Also, they used motion capture, but it never worked very well. It didn't seem to have any weight, and so you had to really reanimate a lot of it. On uh, Polar Express, uh, they had these really natural characters, and their faces had to look really natural. So they had modeled all the muscles of a face in the computer, and you had a control for every muscle on the face named with the the, the scientific name. So you have this huge list of things you had no idea what was what, <laughs> you know, the fascia, bizarrous, this, you know, that. And so everybody was trying to animate all these muscles. And uh, normally when you animate things, you know, be big chunks. Well, you couldn't do that. You had to move this muscle, then that muscle, then this little muscle. And it, it, that, it nothing, was really nothing hard. was nothing was connected. You know, yeah. the, the way the way they're doing things today and the way that the face, the muscles actually are connected. One muscle will pull another muscle automatically. Right. Weren't on these models. And they had they had a, a video of the actor doing the dialogue and they just had to try to force this face into matching what the the actor was doing. It was it was very early in using uh motion capture so yeah it's a lot's been worked out since then and, and also very uh, you know i would say still considered early for um uh human characters 
yeah. uh, and and making them convincing. I mean, yes. I remember when Polar Express came out, the the characters' eyes had no soul. There was no yeah. there was no life to them, you know. And that yeah. was one of the big criticisms. Yeah, and every, everybody tried to get that in, but it was just so difficult to get yeah. the subtleties in there. Uh, when they first did the first shots of the the, the motion capture. You know, the, the, they have characters you're animating that don't have all the clothes. They're just simple bodies yeah. uh, on there. And so they had um, the characters going around, and they had, so they had all these kids running around, and they had flesh-colored bodies and nothing else, and all running around. And they, they looked at a few shots, and they said, uh, we have to do something about this. <laughs> so after that, they they... Made the the middle torso blue, so it looked like everybody's wearing swimsuits instead of <laughs> flesh suits. <laughs> so, but but you know that uh, you know uh, Polar Express. I mean, you got to give them credit for going out on a limb and pushing the technology because yeah. it has gotten a tremendous. I mean, really has gotten a lot better. Um, uh, and, and you can see that in the gaming industry, uh, and you can see that, um, in, in a, in a lot more, uh, uh, you know, contemporary films. Yeah. And, um, you know, Zemeckis really pushed that at the time. It was really, I think, but let's see, then after that, um, I worked for a little while for Paramount on a thing called The Witch's Broom that, that crashed. It didn't work very well. I mean, it, the director and producer had a falling out. But then I finally came back to Disney on uh, Princess and Frog. Which was uh, a two, which was really sort of one of the last 2D movies. Yes. Uh, Ron and John were, were doing that, and they talked with me and, and brought me on real early. So I got a chance to do a lot of story uh, story work on it and story des- early story designs on that and then moved back into animation, did some animation on it too. So I got a chance to do a little bit of everything on that uh, that movie. Um, and that that's that was kind of my last my last feature that I worked on. And so the last hurrah. Yeah, yeah. The swan song. Yeah. <laughs> and, and since then, I've I kind of moved over to Disney TV and been working on on different things on that, doing storyboards. So, uh, did you go? Did you from Princess and the Frog right after that go into Disney TV animation? And you've been there since. For well, the they, most part? actually, I, I after Princess and Frog, there was nothing else to go on to, so I was out for a while, mm-hmm. out in the real world, and worked on various little some little projects or some uh pbs project i worked on and you know so it was a, you were kind of freelancing various freelancing. gigs and yeah yeah i did get a chance to to work at the old uh charlie chaplin studio which was it's owned by henson now. right right yeah and so i got a chance to work there for a few weeks which was really kind of cool what, what was the project that was the pbs it was some pbs oh, thing okay. yeah it was they were puppet-like characters. Yeah, I was doing storyboarding for them. That's so, awesome. That is yeah, awesome. That you know, when you when you look back at, at, at your career, because you're still working. I mean, you're you're not retired. Yes. Yeah, you're, I have you're, no no plans to retire right now. And, I, and that's I a like good having, thing. 
That's I a like, good thing. I like having something to do every day. <laughs> yeah, I, you know something. I I completely agree with you. Um, I don't think anybody should retire. Um, and uh, but uh, when you look back uh, at from this vantage point, uh, what do you think about your career and uh, the various things that you did over the years? Does anything bubble up to you and say, "I really love doing that"? Well, of course, 2D animation, that, that drawn 2D animation is something I really love doing. Uh, but we, probably the the carpet. Uh, yeah. was the Alad- the, uh, in Aladdin. Yeah, and the fact that I, I could do the story work of actually developing who the carpet is. It, you know, he was not developed as that character when yeah. I first joined. So I got a chance to develop who the character was and then animate him to be that character. Kind of. Yeah innocent little curious character that he turned out to be that that was probably my favorite one let let me ask you uh, you know because you know randy i i've always had a tremendous amount of respect for you because of all the different things you've done through your career uh and Mm -hmm. and the fact that you really were at the early stages uh of the cg movement Mm -hmm. uh into animation and you've kind of had a foot in both sides of it what do you think of the state of animation today? Well, I think it, it looks beautiful, uh, there's, and there's so much of it being done, but s- stories, it, rarely do they really connect with me as a story, uh, which is the, the, the big problem always, uh, that things have always had so many animated movies, especially in other, other uh, studios, they may look beautiful, but they don't. The stories are not as strong. That's the key thing: is getting a good story with good characters that are developed the right way uh, to something that you really love. There, uh, so most of the Pixar's have d- kind of done that. A lot of the Disney's did uh, recently. Everybody's kind of fallen down on that. That you. I mean, I, I, I will tell you, and I've talked on our podcast uh, with my co-host, Al John, uh, about the fact that some of the films in recent years, and I can think of Lightyear from Pixar, and I can think of uh, uh, last November, uh, Strange World from Disney Animation, mm-hmm. where after watching it, I it didn't move me. It it didn't feel like it yeah. had a heart to it. You know, it wasn't something that I, yeah, and they're beautifully done pictures. And I know people have worked on, on, on these pictures and it's not a knock against them, but it's the story itself that isn't resonating. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't know, I don't know how you really get that. It's like, a, I mean, uh, I did in, uh, <clears throat> About 10 years ago, I, I was invited to judge a, a student animation contest in China of Chinese students. Yeah. So I went over there for a week and I, I did that. And some of the uh, producers there took me out to lunch and were asking about stories and we can do animation, but how do we do story? We can't seem to get the stories to work. And they're yeah. really grilling me on that. Um, and I don't, there aren't any real clear rules. Uh, the way stories have always been done in animation is you do them and then you look at them and you redo them and you look at them and you redo them and you redo them and you do them over and over and over correcting things. And it, it's not 
something you can sit down and just write a movie and then do it. It never works that way. And and, and and that and that is, you know, that that's, again, something that has been discussed uh, on our show is that uh, the the industry seems to have moved away from the way animated films were made to more of a live action model yeah. where where everybody wants a script that says, here's your script, and then hand it to somebody who's going to board that script. Yeah, and the big difference is in live action, you you don't just shoot the script. You shoot angles. You Everything has coverage. You have a, a wide angle, close angle, close-ups of this character. You have 10 different takes of an actor doing the same scene over and over and over. You can pick the best one. You can pick the best moment. You have all this material that you can go and pick and restructure things. You can take shots and move them somewhere else. You can take sequences, move them around. They do. That is that is their version of doing the movie over and over and over and over. So they have the option of making the movie five thousand different ways. And they're doing it. And they're doing it at in editorial. In editorial. And they finally focus down into the final movie. In animation, you can't don't have all that material to pick from. You can't go do it. So that's why we did it in storyboard. You would do it. You would redo it in storyboard. You can have five different angles of the same shot and pick the best one because it's only you know a single or two or three sketches. But you can't do it with final animation. So it's basically like doing movies without the editing process. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's it's interesting because the way Walt made movies was he would take a book or an established fairy tale, say Snow White. And he'd give it to his story department and they would start to they would do a beat board. You know, they start out with the beat board. You know, what are the main beats of this movie? And then from there, you'd start to storyboard out sequences and yeah. and as you said, those sequences would get they they board a sequence. Part of it would get torn down. They'd reboard it. Part part mm-hmm. of that would get torn down. They'd reboard it again. They'd move stuff around, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh and they would. It's almost like doing a sculpture. Yeah. You know, where you're pushing clay around and moving, adding here and pushing this there. And, yes. you know, until you get to the structure you want. Yes. And that's that's really important. There are very few directors that couldn't do it. Alfred Hitchcock is famous for just shooting exactly what he wants. But yeah. he's an extremely rare case that could visualize the whole movie in his head before it's made. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you have to have that. It it creates a tremendous amount of waste because there's a lot of material you never use in the movie. Yeah. But that's the only way you seem to be able to get a good story is to have the freedom to do that. And they seem to cut that down so much because it's expensive and it yeah, seems and wasteful. They can't they can't do it with animation. Yeah. You you yeah. You, you do it in you do it in the storyboarding phase. Do you feel like there's are we at a saturation point with animated features? 
Well, I, I am. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't feel like I need to watch most of them. Most of them. And so, so many of the gags are repetitive. You see the same thing over and over, the same kind of characters done over and over. Uh, so much of it is dialogue driven as opposed to visual uh, visual driven and, and just a lot of cliches. I'm I'm really tired yeah. of that. I love it when and, I see new fresh ideas. But and, and and there's a lot of derivative stuff. Yeah, you yes. know the, you you're watching these films they're derivative of other films, yes. other animated films. You know one of the one of the films I pointed to a number of times on our podcast that I think is fresh and engaging is Spider Man into the Spider Verse. Did oh, you yeah. did you see that? Yes, so, I did. That, that one I really liked. In yeah. all kinds of ways, it was innovative. It, 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 it was very engaging from a story standpoint. You really, It really had a heart to it. You really felt for the character. Um, and they were using multiple techniques in a really good way, combining them. Yeah, that's one thing I've always thought that computers – computer animation should do. So so much of it, if Pixar started it, is it looks like real life except caricatured a little bit, but everything is real. Lighting is real. The environments are real. But you can do anything. If you look at children's books, there are a million different ways to illustrate a children's book. Yeah, You can take inspiration from that and translate it into a movie that ha- needs that kind of style. I've always thought that, that animated movies should do more of that. Uh, the the Spider Verse was one that did that. Uh, the uh, the Kells, the Irish movie. Yeah. Of Kells. What about uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines? That was another one that I I I, I thought was very well done. Yes, yeah. There there are some doing that, but most of them, you feel like the characters are the same character you've seen before, the same designs. Yeah. It's like there are some cha- differences, but they're. I don't know. They feel like they all come from the same world. And I like yeah. new things. The, and, and I, I absolutely agree with you on that. I mean, you're seeing it through different studios. And maybe I wonder if that's also a uh, a byproduct of the animation uh, industry becoming more transient, like live action, where where people are going from studio to studio, movie to movie. And, and there isn't that cohesive team that that moves and learns and grows together the way it was uh you know like with the nine old men and, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the early years at disney yeah you know? and and also the the just the cg animation itself it, it kind of homogenizes things like I, I like i asked ron and john about moana you know who are the really key animators that you know you can really see their work because it's yeah. better than the others and said so they couldn't really pick them out yeah, the really experienced people and the newer people can all do pretty much the same level work. I mean, they probably see some difference, but it's not like it used to be where you could really see the strong people could really bring something to the animation that is unique, that really becomes alive. Yeah, you don't see that much in CG. There, in other words, there isn't the standouts like Glenn Keane and Andreas, and you know, uh, animators yeah. like that, Mark and Han and, and, yeah. and Milt yeah. and Ollie and Frank. And, yeah. yeah, and Eric Goldberg. Yeah, yeah. 
they all have they all have very unique styles that can bring something new personal to the movie yeah you don't see yeah. as much of that now yeah so. where where do you see the industry going uh, actually it, it's be kind of scary i think i think the ai is going to really start invading movies yeah. all over ai can write stories i actually just to experiment tried throwing in some very rough premise for movies to ai and say give me a movie outline for this yeah and it would come up with a whole beat by beat outline of a whole movie and it's not bad yeah <laughs> it's a great start they actually have some unusual ideas i mean Hi, I, I, do, do you do you find that that that's going to be dangerous for the industry do you feel like there's going to be a group of uh, suits that are sitting in a conference room saying well you know that that movie had a horse head in the bed uh mm-hmm. and that that it made a lot of money you know we should put a horse's head in the bed and we should do this and we should oh, do yeah. that and right and and they're just going to start like throwing a recipe together and then yep. feeding it into an ai program right yeah there will be a lot of that um but he, even that for the the story there'll be a lot of inspiration coming from that which will put people out of work also the in even the art the artwork it, they can do such right now it's it's looks beautiful but it's crude it's, you can't really do a lot of stuff but i think it's going to expand oh sure yeah i mean you can actually can actually do some crude movies now with ai you describe what you want and it creates a movie of it yeah yeah it, and that is going to get more and more sophisticated to the point where someday that's going to be a lot of the work uh, yeah and you'll have probably some genius guys that where one guy can do the work of 20 people uh, on a lot of these productions, which is, uh, I don't know, it's disturbing. And there's there's so many, so many young artists want to get into the field and want to be part of this. And I'm just kind of a little afraid that the the opportunities may become more and more scarce for the yeah. future. Yeah. Or 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 uh, maybe uh, you know uh, uh, just wild, just too too much stuff going on. Yeah, you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. Where everybody's trying to create stuff, and and you just get this busy, clouded, uh, um, you know, media front. You know, yeah. where where everything's starting to look the same. You know, and then you get those breakout geniuses. You know, that can do something. Yeah, I just I just hope that the the studios see the breakout geniuses and allow them to really make movies that people really want to see instead of just cranking out whatever they can do easily and cheaply. Which, which by the way, we saw with the, with, with the streaming wars, when everybody, all the studios were jumping, jumping into streaming channels, there, there was a lot of garbage being put out. Mm. Terrible stuff. Yeah. When you have a, when you need a huge volume of stuff to put out, you know, yeah. A lot of it's going to be garbage because you can't uh-huh. can't do great productions on everything. But I don't know. Everything is going to be changing so much. It's not one effect. Animational effect. Every industry is going to be affected by AI very yeah. dramatically in the next ten years. Yeah, so, and, and I mean it's in its infancy. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, in our lifetime, thirty-five, forty years ago, uh, uh, computer animation was in its infancy. Yep. You know, and and here we are, you know, uh, with with something new, the next the next big thing, 
Yeah, I, I remember actually way back in the 70s, there was a computer company that came in that said that they can do in-betweens for us with their computer. And they brought in a sample computer and they said, all right, somebody come down here and draw a few drawings and we'll in between have the computer in between it for you. So Bernie went up there and he drew a picture of Mickey Mouse from the side and Mickey Mouse from the front. And of course, <laughs> Mickey's ears, you know, sure. the, the, and said, okay, here we go. And they looked at it and said, we can't really in between this. <laughs> and, but they tried and you see, Things like his nose evolves into one ear and the other ear goes down and becomes his mouth. And it just is strange. <laughs> that was the, the state of uh, computers. The company said they could, in, in two years, we'll be able to do Snow White on the computer. And this is the best they could do it back then. Wow. But wow. it has, uh, they've shown yeah. they, in time, yep, you can do it. Now, so, now what's the what, what's the future for you? Are you going to continue working in TV animation series? Are you doing story directing? What are you doing there? Uh, supervising storyboards right now. Okay. And it, it's actually, I'm not retired, but it in a way kind of feels like it because it's something I can kind of, I don't have to put, it, not as stressful like it is in feature. In feature, right. you have to put so much of your energy and your life into it. Yeah. Uh, with TV stuff, there's so much coming in. Some shows turn out to be good. Some shows turn out to be not good, but you have a new one every week. Yeah. So it's something that I can kind of do. And it's it's actually kind of relaxing for me in a way to well, just good. go over but these things. And... I, I'm, I'm glad to hear you have no plans on retiring, though. Yeah. And actually, I, I would love to get actually get into another, you know, big feature something where i can really throw myself into it it's been a while since i've yeah. been able to do that but you know, who knows what what happens well nobody, an, nobody over a feature knows me anymore I won't yeah but there, there's enough of them going on that uh yeah. you know so, something may break yeah so well, randy i gotta tell you this has been a great two weeks, great two-part interview. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed talking with you and 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 hearing your perspective uh, on things, uh, and also hearing about your career, uh, yeah, which is thanks. really incredible. Uh, really and and I, I I I actually hope that we have you back uh, again in the future on the Skull Rock Podcast uh, to to talk more about animation and the state of animation. Okay. Thanks a lot. Glad to talk with you. Skull Rock Podcast. To infinity and beyond. Exploring the outer reaches of the Disney galaxy. Whoa! Oh, wow, you flew magnificently. How much fun is that, Dave? I mean, uh, what, a, what a great career in Disney in, in some of those, uh, those pictures back uh, when you were, you were working there. Yeah, no, and and also, you know, Randy's such a terrific uh, person. Uh, he's uh, been a, a ubiquitous presence, I think, in the animation industry. And uh, his, his career continues. You know, he's still working. He's still working on shows. Uh, and uh, a super nice guy. I, I just enjoy talking with him. And also one of the rare individuals that kind of crossed over from, you know, traditional animation into the digital world and had a lot to do in the early, you know, uh, digital transition in animation. 
Um, I just uh, really enjoyed our conversation with him uh, and uh, look forward to having him back on the show again at some point in the future. Oh, I know. It's like we have to take one of those uh, <clears throat> subjects that he did, the films that he did, and just break it down, yeah. which, would, which would be great. Uh, once again, gang, if you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. We're on it. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, of course, as well as iHeartRadio, Sorcerer Radio, and so much more. So check it out. Um, LinkedIn and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram are great places to find us. You can interact with us as those uh, those platforms as well. And I challenge everybody to use our voicemail. Uh, in the show notes, you can click the link to our voicemail. And we want to hear your voices. I, I, I think it's really cool to insert that into the show because it's one thing to, at, to ask or answer email it's another thing to hear your voice. And uh, because we are a podcast, that's really what, what is awesome about it. So please do it. I encourage you to do it. Uh, email us, Dave or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com. And as I said uh, in the show notes earlier, uh, you know, feel free to download the new Ever Afters record that's been 17 years uh, <laughs> since we've done it. So check that out. And also check out uh, my other podcast, the Dining at Disney Podcast, two shows every week about Disney parks and fun with food. So Dave, you have some final word and some really cool stuff to talk about. Yeah, you know, so uh, next uh, next week, I hope you enjoyed this uh, two-part interview with Randy Cartwright. Next week, we have Joe Lance Cicero, uh, Disney artist and Imagineer. Uh, he's going to be on the show, and that's really going to be the first of multiple interviews we're going to be doing with him over the course of the next year. Um, so stay tuned for that for next week. Uh, I also wanted to mention that, and I didn't mention this at the top of the show, but when I got back from my trip, uh, my 3D National Parks book had won a gold medal at the nonfiction uh, 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 book awards. There you go. Congrats, I knew I, I knew the audience would go nuts over that. <laughs> uh, um, so I just wanted to mention that. Uh, if you want to get a signed copy of 3D National Parks, you can get it from theoldmillpress.com. Uh, obviously, uh, my other books, some of my other books are available there. Uh, and uh, the books are also available at your favorite uh, book retailer, uh, whether that's online or your local independent bookstore. Uh, and with that, uh, go out and have a fantastic week. It's summertime. Enjoy yourself. Be good to one another. We'll see you next Monday right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves well i can do all of the legwork for them i have expertise i've been to the disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise Disney Park Trip, Adventures by Disney. They can contact me at theme parks and cruises at gmail.com. <laughs>